Recently, I was asked about my perspective on trauma, and I wanted to run through why my perspective is different and how it can help you to navigate life better and probably achieve a lot more in your own life. So let's talk about it. Welcome to The Underestimated Entrepreneur, where I share mindset, lifestyle, and business hacking tips, tools, and some painful lessons along my journey from growing my businesses and also working with some of the top entrepreneurs, business leaders, and professional athletes. Driven Mofos, welcome back to another episode of The Underestimated Entrepreneur. Let's talk about trauma. It's something that seems to be a bit of a fad word at the moment. A lot of stuff in the self-development, the personal development, and the psychology industry is talking about trauma. And I want to sort of break down a whole bunch of different ideas, different thoughts, and different perspectives on it and let you make a decision as whether this is something that should be given the attention that it's been getting or whether it's something that most people should just move on from. I'll let you decide that. So let's talk about it. Anyway, for those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Michael Mojo, founder of Mojo Human Performance Institute, where we focus on business mindset and lifestyle hacking for driven mofos. The reason why I do these episodes is that most people waste their life and I just don't want you to be one of them. I really want to make sure that we are one of the most driven groups of people on the planet. I know that it's extremely hard to achieve a lot in life. I know there's a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, and a lot of people don't understand those who want to achieve a lot in life. So I want to make sure that this community of driven mofos is supported. And I want to support by giving great tools, great advice, great ways to think about things differently, and also by having different groups and stuff on social media platforms, our events. I just want to help people to kick ass and thrive in life because I really believe that if you look at people that you're inspired by, they were normally those who are achieving a lot. And so I think that if I can help more people to achieve more, we can have more inspired people in the world. Anyway, let's talk about trauma. First of all, something that really makes me think differently and has helped me to be able to work with a lot of really difficult cases. Now, I'm not saying that I do this and nor do I claim to do this stuff, but I have worked with suicide cases. I've worked with PTSD cases. I have worked with people who have been through, you know, different forms of abuse and depression, anxiety, eating disorders, drug addictions. I've worked with all of those types of people. I've also worked with some of the highest performers on the planet. Some of them have had those issues. Some of them haven't. Some of them had really shitty upbringings or what people would call shitty upbringings. And other people were brought up in an amazing environment and still ended up with you know, a lot of issues in their life. When I started studying human behavior, I started hearing all this stuff around beliefs and I got told that it was our beliefs that created and destroyed our life. Now that I still believe to be the case partially, but we've got to ask the question, what creates beliefs? And so I started diving in deep into how human perceptions were made because I couldn't understand why it was that two people could have the same experience and being brought up in the same house, yet one ends up a drug addict and an alcoholic and the other one ends up running a multi-million dollar business. I couldn't understand how there could be a car accident and two people run across the road. One person sees an old lady with her face on the steering wheel and there's blood everywhere and they help her out of the car and put her on the side of the road and look after her. One person walks away from that experience and says, wow, it's so amazing. Today's a lucky day. I'm glad she didn't die. That was so lucky. And the other person sees that exact same incident and ends up with PTSD can't drive a car for the next six months and has to go to therapy because they see it as she could have died. She almost died. I can't believe it. That was a horrific experience. And so you can have two people who experience the same thing yet have completely different perceptions of the same event. Now this happens every day in reality, in what we call reality anyway, because you can have five family members who experience the same Christmas or the same birthday party. Yet five years down the track, they all argue about 
you know, what happened during that event. One person says, you know, it was like this. And the other person goes, no, it wasn't like that. It was like this. And then someone else chimes in. They go, no, that's not what happened. It was like this. And so how is it that we can distort what happened in a moment, which we can call actuality, what actually happened versus reality, which is being filtered through a person's individual perceptions of that event. So I've always been really inquisitive about that. And I debate quite heavily with a lot of people in the fields of psychology and mindset and mental health and all of those things, because a lot of the time I believe that those models are broken. And they're broken because if you buy into somebody's story, and you just do a little bit of study in the field of psychology, you will find that around 50% of a person's story is made up. So we take in these perceptions and then we add bits and pieces to them. Now, when you go in and you study how human perceptions are created, so let's look at the eyes. The eyes take in electromagnetic radiation. So we don't see anything, humans don't see anything. We take in electromagnetic radiation and that's light waves. So our eyes see light. That's about it. Then it goes in through the eyes. A whole bunch of stuff happens. Information travels through the optic nerve, then to sort of skip parts, but it goes through the part of the brain called the thalamus, which is a gating mechanism for the brain. And then what happens is it sends information to the visual cortex and the information from the visual cortex gets sent back to the thalamus. So our brain is consistently cross-referencing past information and past data about our past experiences to try to analyze the current moment. So when someone says, I know what I saw, well, what they're really seeing is light. That is it. So we don't see events, we don't see people. And this is just the field of optics, right? So if you just go and study the field of optics, our eyes don't see anything. They take in light and light essentially is electromagnetic rays or light waves, you could say. Then what happens is our brain has to interpret and put meaning to those light waves. Now, in fact, if you just go and study neuroscience and also optics, our brain doesn't even see light. Our eyes don't see color. Color is just different frequencies of electromagnetic radiation. And it's our eyes that interpret that color. So every person has a different perception of color. Now we can agree upon certain things just due to standards. Like if I say green, the majority of you will understand what green is. But when I ask you to point out the shade of green, it could all be a completely different perception. Now, when someone sees a green car, you can go to 20 different people and say, what color was it an hour to two hours later? And all of them will point out a different color or they could potentially point out a different color on a color chart. They might be similar, but they won't be the same. Why? Because people's interpretation of color is different. Why does all this shit matter anyway? Well, because if someone says, I've been brought up and I had this traumatic experience, we have to then analyze, what does that mean? How did they come to that conclusion? And they might say, well, I saw my father hit my brother. So therefore that was a traumatic experience. Now, when we look at the perception and how our brain perceives it, you can have three different family members who all perceive that as being a different experience. One person calls it trauma. One person calls it, you know, telling off or, you know, my brother fucked up and he did something stupid. And so, you know, my dad hit him. Therefore, he was actually being punished for him doing something stupid so that he wouldn't do it again. And then you might ask the other person, they go, you know, maybe dad overreacted a little bit. So you've got three siblings who perceive that experience is something completely different, even though they're in the same family dynamic. And that is because their eyes all filtered information completely differently through the brain. Now, then we've got to look at the idea of touch. 
Now, the idea of touch is still up for debate. There's a lot of different science around what touch actually is. But if you go to physics, we can't actually touch anything because when two elements touch, they form a new element. If we just look at hydrogen and oxygen, if you have two hydrogens, so H2, and then you put an oxygen molecule in there and we have H2O and those molecules bond, then you form water, so it forms a brand new element. When we perceive the sense of touch, it's a perception of touch. It's not actually touching something. So our brain interprets that through the nervous system as being the perception of touch. Now, for some of you out there, this is gonna be a bit of a mind fuck, but I go into a lot more of this in our Thrive Time event because it is really important to understand how you perceive things because if you don't question your perceptions, you may be stuck in them saying that, well, this is reality. I know what I felt. I know what I saw. I know what I heard. But what most people don't realize is it's an interpretation. Our ears, we hear compressions of air, which then vibrate the eardrum. Then there's a little bone that moves back and forward and that gets converted into electrical energy. And that electrical energy or signal goes through the nerves, which then goes to the brain. And again, our brain has to interpret it. So sometimes I hear things like words are violence. I've heard that lately by a lot of extreme left people. And they say, well, words are violence. Words can hurt people. Now, words don't hurt people. It's the interpretation and the meaning attached to those words that hurt people. So when I was a child growing up or when I was a kid growing up, I had bright red hair. And I used to get picked on quite a lot. So I used to get called fire engine head, fire truck. So I used to get picked on quite a lot for having bright red hair. I just heard the word red. I was in maths class. I heard the word red. And I picked up a chair and threw it across the classroom because I assumed that he was picking on me. Now, what happens is that when we are wounded and we have past wounds that we haven't healed from, we become hypersensitive. And what it's doing is our brain is trying to show us that we are wounded in some way, shape or form. The same as when you get a cut. Like, I don't know if you've ever had an ingrown toe, but your toe bangs up against your shoe maybe a hundred to a thousand times a day and you never notice it. But when you have an ingrown toe, you notice how painful it is every day because your toe rubs against your shoe so often it bangs against things consistently. But we just don't take notice of it because the pain's not there. So when we have a wound, a mental and emotional wound, or we have these mental and emotional imbalances within our brain, we become hypersensitive to things. So I was hypersensitive to the word red. And anytime someone would mention, you know, orangutan, fire truck, red, that just the color red, I would flip out because I just assumed that I was being picked on. And this happens in our society where, you know, we can't use certain colors because they're attached to certain races. We can't talk about certain animals because they're attached to certain races. But that's because someone has experienced some form of racism or sexism or something where they feel that they've been judged or criticized harshly in the past and they've attached a meaning to it, which then means that they feel like they're less of a person. So then after a while, they become hypersensitive and some people get sad, some people get aggressive, some people flip out, some people punch others because of it. And so this is a hypersensitivity that we get due to imbalanced perspectives within our own brain. So coming back to perceptions, first of all, when we understand that it's our perceptions that create reality and it's our brain that interprets those perceptions. So we get fed information through our senses up into our brain. Our brain has to try to figure out what things mean based on past experiences. Now, as a newborn child, that can happen genetically or epigenetically. So if our parents have certain issues that they haven't dealt with as parents, then that gets passed on epigenetically and that gives us a journey in our own life. And that's why you see certain patterns of behavior repeated from generation to generation because they're normally passed down epigenetically. So this is part of it. But then from there, that child can go on and providing it heals those parts of themselves, it can move forward and it creates new imbalances. So throughout our life, we 
create an imbalance in order to find balance in that imbalance again. And that's how we consistently progress. That's called evolution. And information is the only thing that evolves. So our genetics pass on information from one generation to the next generation. So information seems to be the only thing that evolves. So first of all, we have genetic information being passed on to the child, a newborn or in utero, embryonically. Then you also have the child that gets born into an environment and then it's the environment that then the child starts to try to navigate. And it's through that navigation that it picks up different perceptions and it adapts its behavior to fit into that environment. So as humans, we're consistently adapting based on environmental factors, but it's not just the environmental factors, it's the perception of the environment. Some people thrive under stress, some people don't and they melt down because of it. Why? Because of what the stress means to them. Some people perceive that stress is beneficial to their achievement and their life. Other people are scared shitless of it, so they run away from it and they melt down. So different people have different perceptions on things, and that's normally based on value structures. It can be based on environmental factors from when they're young and when they're in imprint stage. My point is, though, that when we're talking about something like trauma, it's very tricky to navigate. Because in this day and age, a lot of people are being rewarded with a victim card by being told that they had a traumatic upbringing. But when you speak to most people, most people would say that they have some form of trauma or fucked up childhood or something like that. Now, I've worked with plenty of people who say, no, I had a perfect childhood. And you go back and you start going, well, tell me how you were brought up. Tell me what your parents did. What didn't you like about their parenting style? And you realize that they had trauma. They just don't label it as such. They just have an experience. They go, well, that's just mum and dad doing their best. That's just how they were. Like, you know, my parents came across from the other side of the world and that's all that they knew. So they used to yell a lot and they used to scream a lot, but that's all they knew. And I understand that because they didn't know any different. Whereas someone else has a similar experience and they say, yeah, but Michael, you don't understand. My parents yelled all the time. They screamed at me. They told me off. They created these high expectations. And that's the reason why now I'm scared and I'm afraid and I can't do anything. And I feel like, you know, I'm never going to get anywhere and I beat myself up and I don't do anything. And you know, I have this high functioning anxiety and it's also why I have depression. So then they start now to place labels on these perceptions and these mindset patterns, which then keep them stuck and society rewards those with a victim card. If you're someone who has these issues and you just deal with them and move on and all of a sudden you have someone else who goes through the exact same thing, yet now they feel like they're unsupported and they feel like they haven't been nurtured as a child. They can then go back and use their victim card now to get nurtured, to get support to then justify their position in our society and in their life for not achieving. There can be a whole bunch of different things. And these are just generalizations. So I don't want anyone to blow this out of context. I've got to be careful because in this day and age, you know, dumb motherfuckers out there that want to make themselves feel better, cut and edit certain things to just highlight a key point to try and defame someone or to bring someone down. It's most recently happened with Andrew Tate. Not saying that I agree with everything that he says, but he does raise some very valid points and he also has some invalid points. But he has been completely defamed because people have cut and edited certain things that he has discussed in order to suit their own narrative. Now, that's a problem in this day and age because it means that people can't speak what their beliefs are and what their truths are, but they also then can only be criticized based on those small pieces of evidence versus the whole entire thing. So, you know, I know that this topic here can be quite controversial and, you know, I normally don't speak very publicly about some of these things just because most people can't handle it and most people aren't intelligent enough to be able to think through these topics without being able to react instead of question. Now, that's fine because those who love holding onto their victim card and 
you know, love playing the poor me card and all that bullshit. And then our society over supports them. And all that happens is their life is just going to end up more fucked up. They're going to be an 80 year old who's never achieved anything. Their only success has been that they have been able to convince other people that their life has been meaningless because of somebody else or something else that's happened in their past. Now, I don't think that that's a great way to live. I've worked with plenty of people who have had plenty of horrific shit happen to them over the years, especially who have come and attended our Thrive Time event, some more than others. Some have had you know, some issues with their parents and so on, but I've worked with plenty of people in the military who have had to go scoop up dead bodies after they've been blown apart or people that have you know, essentially had to go pick dead bodies out of the sea and they've picked them up by their arms and their arms have just fallen off because they've been in water for so long. And I've had to deal with cases like that, just like I've had to deal with cases of suicide and PTSD and things like that. Now, like I said, this isn't what I promote. I would rather not work with these cases, but I find that these come to me after they feel like they've tried other things that haven't really gotten them the results that they want. Just like we've had plenty of people who've gone to therapy for 20 years or 30 years and attended Thrive Time and felt that they got more out of Thrive Time than they have for 20 or 30 years of therapy. But also as well, those people had to try that to be ready for change. Sometimes when people haven't tried enough and tried for long enough, they're not ready for change yet. And so for those people who have attended, which I think helps a lot, like I think being a good coach, you also have to have good clients. And that's a lot of the time why, you know, I try not to promote our events for most people who love holding onto their victim card because I don't believe that I will be able to help them if they don't want to be helped. I think that it's important for people who want to be helped and want to change to then start seeking out new thought processes, new advice, new information. And then also depending on how well the coach can frame somebody, can help them to change their mindset, you can also help them along that journey a lot faster as well and help them to be a lot more open. But I really believe that there are a lot of people out there who our society over supports and makes them feel like, you know, it's not their fault. And it's, you know, if your parents treat you like shit or things happen when you were younger, that's not your fault. But moving forward, there needs to be some form of responsibility. Like when I was a young kid and was consistently picked on for having red hair, well, I could keep living my life where I would be hyper reactive and hypersensitive and want to fucking fight everybody, which is what I did, you know, growing up, up until my 20s. I got bottled in the side of my head. So I've got a scar on the side of my head. If you're on YouTube, you might be able to see it. But on that side of my head there, I have a scar there where I got bottled in a nightclub and ended up in hospital. I also had my front teeth broken in another pub fight because I was hyper reactive. I used to want to fight everybody. I was aggressive. I just had this fuck you mentality to the world. And you know, if someone looked at me the wrong way, I wanted to beat the shit out of them because of being picked on as a kid. I was hyper reactive and hypersensitive to these things. I couldn't control my aggression. It wasn't a good thing. I mean, yes, I used to control my aggression. So it wasn't that I would flip out all the time, but give me a few drinks at a nightclub and you know, some guys looking at me the wrong way and you know, starts mouthing off. And the next second, you know, I'm in a fist fight and rolling around on the floor and getting thrown out of nightclubs by bouncers. Other times, you know, I'd reacted towards someone and I had reacted because someone else had reacted first. I didn't think I was in the wrong, but you know, a couple of hours later, I end up bottled and got hit from behind. But that was a wake up call that, you know, if I'd just walked away from that incident, I wouldn't have ended up in hospital. Also, if I hadn't reacted to another situation, I wouldn't have ended up with broken teeth and had to spend $10,500 getting my front teeth replaced because they all got chipped and smashed. You know, now I've still got to go back and have surgery on a broken nose because I still can't breathe properly out of one side of my nose. All of these things happened to teach me as a lesson that I needed to grow. I needed to learn. I needed to be better within myself. But unfortunately, sometimes you've got to go through a lot of pain before it wakes you up and you realize that you have these 
past wounds that you need to work on and heal. And you're the only one that can do it. You know, having people come up and saying, you know, Michael, it's not your fault. You know, it's not your fault you were picked on as a kid. Maybe not, but I was also partly to blame because I was reactive all the time. So if I'm reactive and kids see that you're reactive, they're going to pick on you more because they can see that you're reactive and that's something that they respond to. And in society, it's a lot like that as well. If you're consistently reacting to shit and you can't control yourself, then things are going to keep triggering you. And that's how the media work. That's how a lot of people in society still work. The media work to sensationalize things because most people are hyper-reactive and hyper-emotional and they just use that. You know, if people love drama, they'll keep feeding them drama. And that's being hypersensitive to all these problems and pain and pressure in the world. And that may have come from their childhood, may have come from their teenage years. I'm not sure. My point of this episode is when we look at this idea of trauma, we have to understand what actually is it. And we need to dive into perceptions and how perceptions are created. Because when somebody studies just a little bit of neuroscience and they're semi-intelligent, they don't have to be a fucking genius. They just have to be semi-intelligent. And go, if I believe this is true, then how do I create beliefs? And then when they look, when they look at neuroscience, they will start to understand that beliefs and stories and also meanings are created from perceptions within the brain. And it is us that creates those perceptions. It's also us that can change those perceptions. And you can easily do that by looking at certain incidents and looking and asking different questions to see different data. And that's something that most people don't do. But until you have the right questions, you won't find the right answers. And it's just asking better questions. If you ask better questions, you start to get better answers. And when someone says you can't change the past, you can change the past because the past exists within our own mind. And within our own mind, we're making up beliefs, stories, and meanings consistently on a day-by-day basis. And we're changing our perceptions. We're changing our perspectives. We're adapting our behavior to suit certain environments. And we consistently do that. It's called neuroplasticity within the brain, which means that the brain changes itself consistently and adapts. And if we go back and we look at past experiences and we realize that our brain is all made up of these perceptions and these perceptions are highly distorted, then if we ask better questions, we can see things for what they are, not what we perceive they are. Now, I'm not justifying because this happens a lot as well where someone goes, well, so you're just justifying all these fucked up things that happen to people. I'm not saying that at all. That's normally what happens when someone is highly triggered and they don't ask effective questions and they don't think intelligently about these things, which is why I'm very careful talking about them in most cases. There are a lot of people out there who love to justify their position and love their victim card and they will throw this shit back and go, you're just justifying all these fucked up things that happen to people. I don't agree with that at all. What I'm trying to do is that if an individual wants to free themselves, they need to go back and they need to ask better questions and look at different pieces of data to see what's true and what's not true. And they need a good therapist or a good practitioner to work them through those experiences to neutralize them. Because if not, that situation will always control them and will always trigger them because they are wounded. But unfortunately, our society love to reinforce those patterns of behavior and reinforce people's victim mentality, which can keep people trapped mentally and emotionally. And I've seen people in the depression mental health space who are consistently depressed yet are speaking about mental health and depression and how bad that it is. And so at one point, they get all this attention. They get all this acknowledgement. They make really good money from speaking about mental health issues. Yet at the same time, they're being absolutely punished and traumatized and are suffering their whole entire life because they keep going through these massive depressive or anxiety cycles? Do they give up their money? Do they give up their fame? Do they give up the attention that they're getting? Do they give up their career to then potentially work through the things that they perceive are trauma? Do they give up 
their perception of their mental health problems? Or do they keep their mental health problems, which then gives them the life that they want, yet at the same time they have to suffer because of that lifestyle? I'm not sure. I've tried to work with people in that space and a few of them have completely fucking ignored me once I've started questioning them. As in, they've sat down with me, they've said, look, I want to deal with this shit. I have given them, here's what we need to do, here's how it looks, and I've never heard from them again. And I know that it's because they are pushing away from me because they know there's an unconscious pattern. So Carl Jung, the famous psychiatrist, said that until the unconscious becomes conscious, it will rule your life and you'll call it fate. So they have an unconscious pattern where they have unconscious motives to not want to change their depressive cycles or their anxiety cycles because of the attention that they get. Imagine being a speaker on mental health and talking consistently about your story of depression and anxiety and how fucked up it's made your life and how you suffer and all this. And you get paid thousands of dollars per day for a speaking engagement. And you do multiple ones per week. And then imagine going around and signing autographs and writing books and all this stuff on mental health and depression based on your perception and your perspective. And having thousands of people come up and shake your hand and say, you know, thank you so much for what you've done. And thank you so much for all this stuff that you've put out to the world. And thank you so much for everything that you're doing. And then all of a sudden now you've resolved that issue. Don't you think that will create a huge internal conflict? I'm a speaker out there who, when I was younger, tried to kill myself. You know, when I was 15 and got expelled from school, I was always in trouble at home and I was always in trouble at school. I remember the night that I was going to end it all. You know, I had the big kitchen knife when mum, dad, and my sister went to bed. I snuck out into the kitchen and grabbed the sharpest knife that I possibly could to cut my wrist and kill myself. And it was just lucky enough that I got so upset with myself that I remember just crying so much because I knew I didn't want to die. But at the same time, I didn't know a way out. And I just remember snapping and throwing the kitchen knife as hard as I could at the blinds and it cut the blinds open. And I could see the streetlight coming through those blinds. I can still see it as clear as day. For me, you know, working through that stuff now, I don't get paid at a high level to be a speaker around mental health because I've resolved the issues. You know, I have a lot of people who say, yeah, but you don't understand. That's because I have resolved my patterns and I've resolved my problems and I've worked through them. In most cases, you know, I still have shit that I've got to deal with. And that's a lifelong journey for everybody. You never resolve mindset problems. You just create different challenges throughout your life. And that's part of the goal of growth. And that's part of evolution, if you just look at evolutionary biology. And so, you know, I don't get a lot of people coming to me wanting me to speak around mental health. I don't know why, but it's probably because I don't over-exaggerate it and I don't talk about how bad it is and all of this sort of stuff. To me, it was just a learning that I had to resolve. The same as, you know, a lot of high-functioning anxiety that I had. You know, I've had to resolve it and sometimes it still comes up and I just, you know, go back to the tools that I teach at Thrive Time and I work through it and off I go again and I'm fine. But a lot of our society wants to reinforce these patterns because a lot of our society wants to play the victim card. They want to engage in drama. They want to engage in problems. They want to hear how people suffer and all that so that people can connect through that shit. And that's okay. Like, I get it. It's part of their journey. But at some point, I think that most people get to a stage in their life where they go, this shit's not working for me anymore and I'm fucking sick of it. And I've asked this from a lot of people who have attended our Thrive Time event. And I've said, why did you go to therapy for 20 to 30 years if you knew that it wasn't working? They said, Michael, I just didn't know any other way. I didn't know anything else until one day I heard you talk and I went, shit, maybe I need to try this. And so I can show you testimonial after testimonial people that have sent through messages on Facebook or social media of having gone through that. Some of them I don't even know have these patterns of behavior until after they've attended an event and then they let me know. I mean, this is fairly common. So I think that a lot of people do have to suffer before they realize that they don't want to suffer anymore. And until the pain becomes bad enough, a lot of our society don't want to change. Like, you know, I work with business people every week who, 
you know, they come to me when their business is absolutely fucking totaled. And I say to them, you know, how long have you known about me? And they go, I knew about you five years ago. And I say, why didn't you reach out for help five years ago? And they say, Michael, I thought I could fix it. I thought I would get through it. I thought, but then normally by the time they come to me, they don't have any time because they're flat out trying to fix their business. And they don't have any money because they've just blown all their cash trying to fix a problem that could have been solved five years ago. Most people with mental health issues don't go out and try different things. They just get drugged and medicated and then they walk around and just say, you know, part of the reason why I have this is because, you know, it's the mental health issue. And then, you know, we have things exacerbated by, you know, pretty sloppy science like that, you know, depression and anxiety are chemical imbalances. And yes, they are a chemical imbalance, but you can have a chemical imbalance if you throw a snake in the room with somebody and they perceive a threat, immediately they change the neurochemical response in their brain. So when you perceive a threat, your stress levels change immediately. It's the perception that drives the chemical imbalance. And so if someone consistently perceives stressful situations, or if someone has a past trauma that hasn't been dealt with, and they react consistently, then that's going to consistently drive a neurochemical imbalance outside of the norm. So this is very, very obvious and can be very easily explained, but most people don't want to hear it. Unfortunately, even a lot of people in the mental health space don't want to hear it because they make a career out of booking people in for the next 30 years to try to help them. We've had plenty of psychologists, psychotherapists. We've had medical doctors come to our events. We had someone who worked in neuroscience actually come to one of our events years ago. So we have these people come through because they're looking for something different. They're looking for something new. Or not saying that this is new, by the way. It's some people know about it. It's just they've thought about it differently. I was lucky enough to study through a lot of them and then start to piece together my own frameworks to help with this stuff. My point of this episode is that really, unless you're prepared to question things and unless you're prepared to say, is this really as good as life's ever gonna get? And also, is there something else out there that can help me change my perspective or my perceptions? Then a lot of people are going to be stuck in life. It's becoming more fashionable to, I hate using that word, but it is becoming more fashionable to have mental health problems. And, you know, a lot of our society are being taught about mental health. So a lot more people are finding out that they have these mental imbalances, which is quite common. Just years ago, we never labeled them as such. And maybe it's just we're becoming more aware. But also, I think that there's a massive lack of tools and also a massive lack of understanding around how the human brain works, as in how our sensory system feeds information to our brain and how our brain interprets that information. And so, you know, a lot of people are trying to deal with beliefs and a lot of people are trying to deal with these issues from the past that they don't actually even understand how they were created in the first place. And if you don't understand how something's created, it's really, really hard to try to change something if you don't know what drives it in the first place. So something to think about people. I really wanted to do this episode because someone did ask me the other day about what my perception was of trauma and my feedback to them was, what do you mean by trauma? Can you explain it to me? Because different people use that label in different ways. You know, is it a clinical way of trauma? If so, what is that clinical terminology? How do you describe it? What do you mean by trauma? If you take away a kid's PlayStation, they can call that traumatic. So it all depends. Was it a huge car accident and you perceive that someone may have died? Was it that someone actually died? You know, after working with tens of thousands of people, you'll see that there are, you know, so many different varieties of what people call trauma or problems or stresses in life. And some people are dealing with things that are 100 times worse than somebody else, yet someone else is suffering 100 times worse. So you've got to ask why that is and really go back and think through it. And I think, you know, Dr. John Martini said to me years ago, most people don't think, they think they think. And I know that that is true for a lot of people out there, including practitioners and therapists as well. And there are a lot of good practitioners and therapists out there who dedicate their life to helping people and figuring this stuff out. But there are also a lot of people who just, you know, they wake up in the morning, they've got to feed the kids, 
They've got to get the kids to school. Then they rush off to clinic. Then they sit in clinic all day and listen to people talk about the same fucking problems over and over and over again. They charge them out at a set charge rate. They finish up for the day. They go pick up the kids from school. They get home. They've got to deal with all the family issues. Then they've got to pay off the car, pay off the mortgage and all that sort of stuff. And they're trapped just like the majority of other people in society. So they don't have time to really reflect and look into this stuff. They just do their job, just like most other people. It's not really their fault. It's just a society pattern that we have. I don't know that most people don't want to be great, but most people will never be great at anything because they don't commit the time and dedicate the energy and the resources to be great at something. And also to challenge the way that they think. Something that I learned years ago is that unless you're prepared to challenge the way that you think, you don't actually know how you think. Because most people reinforce what they already believe to be true instead of looking at a different perspective and a different side of things. You know, I used to be very much like that. But over time, I love researching both sides. Like I love looking at the moment at opinions on the far right. And I also like looking at opinions on the far left and trying to figure out why these people have these crazy perspectives and, you know, extreme views of the way that life should be. And then I try to find a balance point in the middle because both of them have some semi-intelligent feedback. It's just that the far left argues with the far right and the far right argues with the far left. And this is like politics, right? One side says red, the other side says green. The side that originally said red says, you know what, green might be right. And then so the other side comes back and goes, nah, we 100% think that it's orange. And so they just fucking argue because that's what politicians do, right? And that's why politics is such a shit business. Well, it's not even a business. It's just such a shit strategy because in order to win votes, they have to have an alternative opinion. And I think that that is such a shitty way of trying to run a country because it's not what's best for the country. It's what's best to win another election. And so they have to have opposing views. So I don't think that that is an intelligent way. And that doesn't happen all the time. But you see these things. And how do you navigate through that? You look at both sides. You look at both arguments. You sort of filter out where are they right? Where are they wrong? And let's look at both sides and let's analyze that. And then from there, you find some point in the middle, which is called the mean or the average. And then from there, you can make an intelligent decision. And so, you know, I think that if we're going to move forward from these things that people call trauma and mental health issues, we really have to be looking outside of the box because most people that I speak to, if I ask, are these solutions to mental health working these days? Most people would say not really, especially when you have high levels of suicide in men, which have been increasing. You've also got high levels of depression, anxiety, and so many other mental health issues that are on the increase because we're prescribing it better or treating it better, maybe. But also, I don't think that the treatments are that effective, especially when medication is probably one of the main treatments. And most of them, if you just look at the MIMS, which tells you about the drug, just numbs people. So essentially, you're taking a numbing agent. So what it does is it removes the high highs, but it also removes the low lows. So you just go through life being average. It does help. Like if someone's suicidal, 100%. Or if someone has these massive depressive bouts and can't get out of bed, 100%. If someone has high-functioning anxiety or high-level anxiety and they can't leave the house, then maybe medication is the solution in that moment. But a solution now doesn't mean a solution in the future. It means that we've got to start helping people to navigate these things differently. And the way that we do that is through perceptions and understanding how the brain works and how information gets fed to the brain. So I really hope, Driven Mofos, that this helps. You know, as I said, I wasn't really going to talk about this because I know if I put it online some dipshit will cut it and edit it to you know, fit their own agenda. And that happens these days. I just hope that this community of driven mofos is a little bit more intelligent than that. I do really want to help people with this stuff. And you know, I think I have a very valid perspective, especially when I have had a lot of people in medical fields and so on come to our events. And when I show them some of this information and data, 
it changes their perspective on the way they think about things as well. So I hope it helps you too. Driven Mofos, if you're loving this episode, if you can please rate and review this podcast, all you need to do is click on the little stars at the top of whatever app you're using and you can rate this podcast. Also on the Apple app, you can leave a review as well. I would love it if you do. The more I can get this information out to people, the more I can help others. I've just noticed that most people haven't rated and reviewed this podcast, even though I can check the data and I see you know, how many people are listening to the podcast and there's a lot of people out there. We're just not getting the amount of people rating and reviewing this podcast by just clicking on the stars and giving it a review. So if you could, please do that. It does make a massive difference. And also, if you haven't jumped across to our No BS Business Hacks group on Facebook, it's absolutely free. So just jump across there. It's No BS Business Hacks on Facebook, and you can add yourself for free to that group. What we do is I share a lot of information, put tools, templates, and trainings in there. Also, there is an ability to watch some of the trainings and things like that that I put in there also. So it will help to grow your business if you're a business owner out there. Anyway, Driven Mofos, I hope you have a great day. Please remember to share this podcast if you're loving it. Keep driving hard, keep pushing hard, and have a great day.